Heavenly Father, we uh, we thank you. <laughs> we just thank you, Lord. There's so many things that we let our mind be occupied by, but this morning we just want to say thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for how you're doing it. And Lord, that's it. That's it. When we allow you to let it rain in our lives, Lord, we are simply just in a state of thanks because we understand that there's there's no way that we can do it without you. They're just we just can't do it. So we thank you for that. But Lord, we need it to rain. <laughs> we need the spirit to crash over us. We need the spirit to lift lift us out of that darkness that we are in in certain areas of our lives, Lord, to where we can see the light, we can be the light. You're asking us to be just like you, but you are the one who are going to make us that way. We can't do it on our own. So Heavenly Father, we need your spirit this morning. We need you to be here. We invite you in and we want to respond to the movement of the Holy Spirit this morning. So Lord, we love you. We thank you. We need you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Y'all can be seated. Well, good morning. Yeah, I hope everybody's doing good. Uh, you know, the Lord wants to do some stuff this morning, which is kind of what I say every Sunday. He wants to do something. But it's so true. It's so true that he he, he wants to move and he wants us to respond to that. And so... We're in a place where we are beginning to transition into a different book. We've finished up Haggai, and now we're moving in to something different. And I've had the wonderful privilege of being able to kind of be out in front of what book we're going to jump into. And, you know, four, three, four months ago when things started to get transferred over to me behind the scenes-wise and uh, all of that, started to pray about what was the next book that we were going to go into at that time my dad was in the middle of the giving series and to be honest with you we don't really do a whole lot of preaching series wise because we feel like if we get into an entire book we 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 want to make sure that we communicate the importance of the whole counsel of the word all of it sometimes when you get into series not saying it's a bad thing but you can pick and choose and you know make it sound the way you want it to make and Ah, we're just not really about that. Not saying that series are bad, but we want to preach whole books. And I felt like the Lord was kind <clears> of <throat> taking me towards the book of Romans. And that kind of changed. It changed because th- there was two books. It was Romans and Nehemiah. And through some people in our, our leadership and just praying and asking the Lord to reveal some things about that, we're landing on Nehemiah. And we are going to go through the entire book of Nehemiah. And you guys are used to that here. Um, for those of you who've been here, when we went through the entire book of John, that took like three years. And then we went through the entire book of Acts, 28 chapters. My goodness. I think that was maybe close to four years. I don't think Nehemiah is going to take that long. But you never know. Because sometimes you can jump into the word and the Lord won't let you get past one word. And there's an entire preaching and weeks and weeks of preaching in, in just one word. So I don't want to scare you with that. But hey, 
it's good to get the whole counsel of the word. Amen. So that's what we're going to do. We're jumping into the book of Nehemiah. And it's, I, I now see why the Lord wanted us to do, to jump into Nehemiah. Um, because it is so apropos and specific to where we are as a church, where I am as a leader, and what book we just got out of. Haggai. Um, so we, we did a, um, kind of a conclusion type message last week, closing up the book of Haggai. Um, and so just how today is going to go when we open up books, this doesn't happen very often, but what I have to do is I got to set it up. Got to make sure that we all are on the same page about who Nehemiah is, where this guy came from, what his purpose was, just all of this history. Now you're not going to get a history lesson this morning. As much as you're going to get some information that it's unbelievable how much it connects to where we are. And so, you know, sit back, listen. We're still going to be going through scripture. We're going to be referencing a whole bunch of scripture in Nehemiah. Um, But today what I have to do is introduce you to the book and get us all up to speed so that we all know the context um, and the time period in which Nehemiah was written and uh, alongside of who this guy is, what his purpose was, how he did what he did, what God was doing with him. So when we closed up the book of Haggai, uh, the Lord used Haggai to speak to his people. Now, this is when his people came out of exile. And we went through that whole thing. But he used Haggai as a mouthpiece. Right? Now, we spent about 12 weeks, 10 or 12 weeks in Haggai. The Lord also used something else in that book. And if you guys remember, he used the temple. Now, he used the temple as a focal point for something. We got to the end of the book of Haggai and it realized that it wasn't even really about the temple as much as it was about Jesus and about Christ and about God and about one thing. God connecting his heart with his people. Now, he had to do that because he brought his people out of exile for 70 years. He had to reconnect his heart with his people, but he used a temple to rally his people around, well, excuse me, he rallied his people around a temple, I should say it that way, to get at his people, to get at his people's mindset, their perspective, and how they saw things. So, the focal point and the purpose was to unite his people with his heart in the book of Haggai. Now, how does the book of Haggai connect with the book of Nehemiah? And and, and this is, I love this. And now I understand why the Lord wanted us to jump into Haggai. In order in order for us to understand that, we have to start with the understanding that when the Jews came out of exile, they came in three waves. It wasn't just a mass, okay, here we are, back on the scene again. Um, they came in three waves over a period of about 80 to 100 years. Now, Haggai was the first wave. And that's the one that we are most familiar with why because we just went through it the past 12 weeks okay so the first wave was somewhere around 539 to 515 bc now these are just dates throwing this stuff out there so that you guys can understand where we're coming from but the lord is in all of this stuff the gospel is in all of this stuff that was under zerubbabel who was the governor of the time but in that building of the new temple um, we have the best understanding of, of that wave simply because we just went through it. Um, 
the book of Haggai is an account of the Lord speaking to his people in that. But also in the first four chapters of the book of Ezra is the actual, here's what happened with the building of the temple. So that moves us to the second wave. Now the second wave in my study is somewhere between 515 B.C. and 450 B.C. Now they attach Zerubbabel's name to the first wave. They attach Ezra's name to the second wave. Now Ezra was more of a priest than he was a governor. And what his job and purpose was was to record everything when it came to the return of the Jews to Jerusalem. That was his main purpose. So if you read through the whole book of Ezra, you get a whole account of it. But somewhere between 515 and 450 B.C. is when the second wave came back to Jerusalem. All right, now the third wave is specific to Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is looked at as more of a governor than a priest. So Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah. Now we come to Nehemiah. And they put a date on Nehemiah at 445 B.C. Now, let me show you how they get to 445 B.C., which I think is is great. If anybody ever tells you that the Bible isn't relevant, what I love is that in history and in textbooks all around the world that have nothing to do with Scripture, nothing to do with the Bible, will reference and have um, information in them that the Bible does as well. Meaning that there's places that you can read about Jesus that are not in the Bible. So when someone says, hey, this man came and is this mystical thing and there, oh, no, that's not it. The Bible is relevant even if you take God out of it. And so here's how, here's how we get to 445 BC. Um, with Nehemiah. The dates in Haggai, Building a temple from the beginning to finish took about four months. Took about 120 days. Now, the scripture that we have today that I'm going to be bringing to you guys, um, what the, today's message is based out of is Nehemiah 6, 15 and 16. So turn there right now. Nehemiah 6. And I'm just going to read the first part of, of 15. And it's going to give us a little, little information, a little reference. And it simply just says, Nehemiah 6.15, so the wall was completed on the 25th of Elu, Elo, something like that, in 52 days. So the building of a temple took about four months. And to be honest with you, I'm I'm in construction management. That's like, that's super quick, 120 days. Now, when we kind of went through the dimensions of the old temple, comparatively speaking to the new one, They talked about cubits. We understand that a cubit is about 18 inches, so a foot and a half. And they gave some, you know, the old temple was so many cubits high. And the math played out to be about 209 feet. So, in reference, the old temple was double the size of the Hilton. Can you imagine driving down Prospect and seeing a building double the size? All right. Now, the, the new temple that they built was lesser than the old one, but it was still massive in comparison. All right. So, let's just think about the Hilton as lesser than the bigger one. That would take more than 120 days. I'm just telling you right now. Now, they don't got to hook up electricity. They don't got to hook up, you know, internet and all that stuff. So they didn't have to do as much, but there was still a lot that had to go into that. All right? They built an entire wall 
in 52 days. To me, that's in, that's just unimaginable. Even with the modern equipment that we have right now and manpower, that's interesting. It took 52 days to complete the wall. Now, real quick, turn over to Nehemiah 1, 1, the very first part of the chapter. It says, the words of Nehemiah, son of Hekeliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year. Now, it says 20th year. And just so you guys know, when it, in the word, when it, ta- when it says something like that, it's the 20th year of whatever king reigned at that time. Alright? So, next chapter. Uh, Nehemiah 2, verse 1. It gives us the name of that king. It says, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. Alright, sweet. Now we got a name. King Artaxerxes was the first King Artaxerxes. There was two. But he's the king of Persia. Now, if I was to go study Persian kings, I would get King Artaxerxes, right? His reign was from 465 to 424 BC. 465 minus 20 years is what? 445 BC, alright? So that's where we get Nehemiah. And it's just this, you know, little thing I want to put out in front of you that look, outside of the word, if you want to check these dates in, in, all of that stuff is connected and it, it just points towards the fact that the Bible is relevant. Amen? So that brings us up to Nehemiah, um, chronologically, timeline wise, and how it connects back to Haggai. Uh, now, two weeks ago, you guys are going to be hearing a lot of this from me. Two weeks ago, Beck was up here preaching and he just, he used some things with the date to show us how the gospel is in everything. In absolutely everything. And it just changed my mind. Not necessarily that I haven't thought about it that way. But to seek out the gospel in every passage, in every word, in every scripture. By the end of this message, you're going to see something in how the Lord used Nehemiah. In Nehemiah and who he was, how the gospel is written all over this man and all over what he did. And then I'm going to ask you guys a question. I'm going to appeal to you. Does your heart burn for the gospel of Jesus Christ? I'm just going to ask you that question straight up. Because if it doesn't, okay, maybe we need to get ourselves in a place where it does. But if, if from Genesis to Revelation, there is the gospel. From your birth date to the time that you leave this earth, there's, there should be the gospel in the whole story. Amen? And so, kind of hang on that. Does your heart burn? And just, what does your heart burn for? Let me ask that question. What does your heart burn for? So, as we jump into to Nehemiah, we got to kind of have a little bit of an understanding of who who is Nehemiah and what do we know about him. So, every time that I reference him in the next however many weeks, months, years, maybe, it might take that long, you guys have an understanding of where this boy came from, who he is, what his heart is. Oh. So, it's... Whenever we, we, we bring somebody on the scene, we kind of want to be able to see their genealogy, where uh, the lineage, let me say that, 
what tribe they were from, how they're connected back to, to Jesus or Adam and Eve or, you know, the tribe of the t- whatever. It's assumed that Nehemiah is from the tribe of Judah, but there's no record or documentation, recorded documentation of this guy's lineage beyond his dad, Hekeliah, which is Nehemiah 1.1. We just read that. Nehemiah, son of Hekeliah. And I hope I'm saying that right. Excuse me. He was born. Here's the next point. He was born in exile. Okay, now all of these things are going to make sense at the end. He appears on the scenes, on the scene, a hundred years after Jerusalem had been destroyed. One hundred years. That's a long time. It wasn't a couple months, it wasn't, you know, childhood, and then he came back when he was an adolescent, and no, it was a hundred years. He appears on the scene a hundred years after Jerusalem had been destroyed. And, and check this out. He had never seen the city. Not one time. Therefore, he'd never been there. He'd never stepped foot in Jerusalem. Now, all of these things are like not making sense to me as I'm reading Nehemiah. Because those of you who, have, who, who know anything about Nehemiah, this boy was sent to Jerusalem to rebuild a wall. So we had a temple in Haggai. Now the Lord is going to use a wall to do something. The Lord put in him a passion for this land. And here I am reading all these things like the boy's never been there. He wasn't born there. He's born in exile. He's never seen it. So why would he have a passion for that? That's a, that's a, I think that's a legitimate question. The stuff doesn't make any sense yet. Yeah, he's never been to the city. He finds himself as a cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. Now, if you know anything about a cupbearer, these guys like, man, that's a, that's a very, very high place in the court. Persian court because what a cupbearer cup is supposed to do is he's supposed to taste anything before the king tastes it in case it's poisoned can you imagine that every time you lift the fork to your mouth or the, the, the cup to drink you're just like you know what tell my mom I love her tell my kids hey you can have the, the chariot and that horse over there but it's been real you drink it and you're like okay I'm good alright Got another another four hours before the king decides he wants to drink something again. Like, your life is like this when it comes to living or dying. That's a real thing. That's a real position. Um, and there's a, there's, a, there's a certain amount of trust there from the king to Nehemiah, to that cupbearer. Because you're not just going to let anybody do that. Someone could come in and influence that cupbearer or the cupbearer himself could you know not really like the king that much and decide to do something so it's just a it's just a massive position that he was placed in he has no uh lineage that is of royal he has no royal blood okay so the lord literally placed him in that position the only thing that connects him back to jerusalem is in nehemiah 2 5 the first part of that verse 2 5 a the only thing that connects him back to Jerusalem is that his father's grave is there. I want you to hang on to that. The only thing that connects him back to Jerusalem. Let's read this in, in verse 5 of chapter 2. And this is after he hears about Jerusalem um, and the Lord is working in him, which it takes about four months for him to go ask the king 
if he can go. Now the king notices on his face that he's dealing with something and he asks him, all right, what's going on? And then we get into verse 5. It says, then I prayed to God of heaven in verse 5 and I answered the king. If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried so that I can rebuild it. That's, man, that's got some weight to it. Why? Because he's talking about a tomb. So I just want you to hang on to that. We're going to revisit that. But what was Nehemiah's purpose? We kind of have gone over that. That's that's the, the second half of verse 5. So that I can rebuild it. That was his purpose. He was sent by God to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Now again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of stay on this question of asking why. With all that information, my question is, why does this man's heart burn for Jerusalem? The boy's never been there. He's never seen it before. doesn't make any sense to me. So in trying to figure that out and just study about this guy, let's read the first four verses of chapter 1. And it just gives us a, a snapshot of the fact that his heart burned for Jerusalem. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hekeliah. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. And then verse 4. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, and that prayer right there is, is, is intense. I can't wait to, to kind of get into that and pick that apart. But there's, there's a snapshot of the word saying that this man's heart burned for a city that he's never seen, never put a foot in. But yet, his only connection to the city was that his father's tomb was there. His heart burned for a place of his father's burial. His heart burned because of a tomb. <laughs> let me ask you this question. He's, well, let me say this. He's connected because of the tomb of his father. We have a father that sat in a tomb. But what our father did, he's no longer in that tomb anymore. Right? So that to me is the Lord's trying to say, hey, look, I, I'm kind of weaving the gospel into this thing. The only connection that we have to Christ, period, is the fact that he got up and walked out of the tomb. Nehemiah's pop is still in that tomb today. Your father isn't. Amen. Nehemiah's connection to Jerusalem was through a tomb. Our connection to Christ is, yes, through a tomb. But the fact that Jesus got up out of that tomb. That to me is something that I feel like the Lord is going to expand. I feel like there's more there. But I can't, I can't get past that. And it all rides on the coattails on the fact that this man has no connection. 
his heart burns for the reestablishment of a city. I'm going to ask you this question, and I want you to be really, really honest, not only with me. You don't have to answer like throw your hand up right now. And be honest with yourself. Be honest with your connection with this church. Does your heart burn for the reestablishment of the gospel of Jesus Christ in Fort Collins? Starting with your social environment. You may have zero connection to your social environment except the fact that you work there or you got a friend there or whatever. Your purpose is that regardless, you're there to reestablish the gospel or establish the gospel in a place that has never been established. You guys trucking with me on that? Nehemiah was called to a place to reestablish something. You are as well. You've been called here to ESS. You've been called here to Fort Collins. You've been given the job that you've been given to establish the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm just saying, I want to appeal to you today. Let your heart burn for that. Because mine is, mine burns for that. And I cannot take this city by myself. Can't do it. I need every single person that is sitting in these seats. Every family, every individual. And what we're going to look at here is Nehemiah needed the same thing. How this book connects to where we at, where we are right now, is just, it's unbelievable. Because Nehemiah built a wall that should have taken years. He built a wall in 52 days. Why? How? He did it with families. Entire families just taking care of their part. And so I'm appealing to you today. Here's a man whose heart burns for a city. Mine does as well. There is something that we are building here. That I believe everyone in Fort Collins can benefit from. And I want and need everybody in here to believe the same thing. Because I can't do it by myself. (laughs) I'm going to need everyone to help me do this. And it's not me. It's fulfill the vision. The vision was to rebuild the wall. It had nothing to do with Nehemiah. But Nehemiah was the front runner for it. So the Lord used him to motivate people for the vision. Don't ever come in here because of Alex Square. Or Johnny or Rick. Or because we have really ice cold water and no coffee. And a speaker that won't work. You know? Just... Don't ever come in here for that. Come in here because of the vision that the Lord has dropped in Eosis, which I'm going to explain here in a little bit. It's going to be real short. But that wall was built to protect something. We have something that's worth giving, but it needs protecting. And it's it has to get protected by the families and the people in this church. But we have to build that wall together. We have to do that. Are you guys trucking with me? Now, I talked a little bit about how he did this. If you read or look at, we're not going to read through the entire um, third chapter of Nehemiah. I got about 10 minutes here, so I got to I got to get through this. But it's just the builders of the wall. Now, in, in, in studying that third chapter, these are all of the people who are residents of Jerusalem. 
If you read through there, things are broken out to specific families. That here's the part that you're supposed to rebuild. Here's the part that you're supposed to rebuild. All right. Here's how they built a massive wall in 52 days that it, it shouldn't even have. I mean, that's like the planning period. 52 days before you even lift a hammer. All right. Here's how he did it. He appealed to each family to build simply right in front of their house. That's it. So that's how you build a wall in 52 days that is monstrous. Just build right in front of your house. Well, what are we doing? And what am I going to ask you to do? I'm going to ask you just to build right in front of your house. That as we move into this this new leadership and this new time of Eosis and building this thing up, in order for us to protect the vision of Eosis, I'm asking every, uh, literally, every family, as I look at each one of you guys, like I'm pleading with you this morning, I'm, I'm making an appeal to build your part of the wall right in front of your house. What are the building blocks? Okay, you start asking, okay, how do I do that? It's like a little bit overwhelming. We've kind of already talked about that stuff. There's three things that we build with in this church. The first being evangelism. That's a building block. Because we aren't, we aren't so interested in going and getting people from other churches to fill these seats. I will never turn anybody away who wants to hear the word of God. But in order to fill these seats, I would rather get people who have just received Christ. Or that we went out, we got. Not because we want to put our stamp of approval on them, no. It's just that when, when we go get people, seats to the kingdom are added. And that's the whole point. Evangelism. Build right in front of your house by speaking to Christ. Speaking to people about Christ on a daily basis. Being the gospel. Not only in word, but in deed. A second building block is discipleship. Because what we are trying to protect here, ladies and gentlemen, the vision of Jesus comes from uh, Ephesians four eleven through sixteen. The first part of that scripture says he gave the apostles, the pastor, the evangelist, the prophet, and the teacher five offices for the equipping of the saints, which is you and I, for the work of service, building up the body of Christ, to equip you guys. And then there's something else in there. That I, I believe is is massive. Till we attain this word unity. That is to the measure of the fullness of the stature that belongs to Jesus Christ. Discipleship is nothing but making little Christs and sending them out to make more Christs. About five minutes ago I said don't ever walk in this room because of the personality that's up here. What we are trying to do here at ESS is equip every single one of you guys to be just like Jesus. And that's it. This is just a church, honestly. We are nothing special. We may do special things or, you know, do things different, whatever. But we're going to do it according to the word and sending people out. That's what an apostolic church is. To, to be sent and to send that everyone who walks out of this room is going to look just like Christ. Now, I don't know if you guys have seen, well, of course you have, Claudia Garcia. she got two little kids. Um, and then Valerie, she's got kids running all over the place. Um, the Evans, Susan Evans, we got little Timmy running around here. 
uh, doing backflips off the wall, and the boy's got more energy than I can think about having. We have to protect and build that so that Claudia Garcia's kids can be protected and her kids' kids can come in and be given an example of who Jesus is and it's not tainted by anything. It comes straight from scripture and then they go out and they make disciples and it's this proper working of each individual part. Guys, to me, that's worth protecting. That's worth building. That third building block is neighboring. What if the Lord was serious when he said, love your neighbor? What if he was serious that that meant the neighbor right across the street? That we don't have to go evangelize just in work. But when you get home and you see that garage door up across the street, just walk over there. It might be awkward. Saw you mowing your lawn. Hey, did you see the football game? Whatever, whatever. You then begin to get into somebody's life and do what the word says. Love your neighbor. And love them according to who Jesus is. Not according to who what you think love is. Amen? So, are you guys good? You with me here? I got to make this statement to you guys. That in Jerusalem... When the report came back, we saw in in Nehemiah 1, it says in verse 3, the province, uh, the people, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The city is destroyed and people are still living there, meaning that they have their own homes. What kind of building materials do you think they're using? They're building with the rubble. They're building with the rubble. If you look back in Haggai, the Lord said, here's here's where I need you to go to get the materials for this because that's important. In Nehemiah, these people are building their homes with the rubble. I think that's important to understand. Let me ask you, are you building anything in your life with past crap, with past rubble? Because in order for us to do this, we got to use kingdom materials Christ materials he's not asking us to build with the rubble he's asking us to build with scripture and in the scripture it tells us to go get them he's asking us to build with scripture and in scripture it tells us to go disciple <laughs> it tells us to go be a good neighbor and there's it tells us to do a whole bunch of other stuff alright but nonetheless these people are building with rubble to the point where they begin to manage that. You in your life, are you managing anything that is an addiction? That is holding you down? That's the rubble, the stuff that's just, man, I, I can't seem to get past this, so what am I gonna do? I'm just gonna, hmm, I'm just gonna be okay with it. I'm gonna start to manage this stuff. I'm making an appeal to you to help me build this thing. To help me build it. Help me build this. Those of you who've been here for two weeks or 200 years. Help me build this thing. Yeah. Help me build it. I'm looking at each one of you guys. The Lord has to clean the fish. Before he serves them. 
And that's what he's going to do with us. In order for us to build this, he's going to remove the materials that we've been building with. If it's rubble, he's going to shake the nations. The only thing that will remain is that which cannot be shaken, and that's the kingdom of God. But we can no longer build from materials that don't work anymore. So this morning, as I make my appeal, if the, I feel like the Lord is stirring in some people that that altar is going to get opened up. Now, when, when Nehemiah says to his people, look, all I need you to do is take care of what's in front of you. <laughs> what happens if you cut corners on that section of the wall? And the enemies come. That's the part of the wall that you built. It's laying in ruins and there's just massive enemies coming through that thing. We can't cut corners. And that's not like something to be afraid of. What that does is it drives you back to your knees. It drives you to have callous knees to number one, know how to build, know what to build with, what to say in what situation, what scripture to go back to to give to somebody. Not so that you can be exalted. But so the gospel can be reestablished, established, seen, and experienced in your social environment. Amen? So again, I'm going to keep saying it. Y'all help me build this thing. But we are going to continue to take hit after hit after hit. Could be financially. We stopped counting the amount of people that come in came in here like two years ago. But numerically, we're going to take hits. We're going to continue to take hits until this wall is built. Why do I say that? Nehemiah six fifteen and 16. Let's read this. So the wall was completed on the 25th of the month of Elul in 52 days. Yeah. Slight pause there. When all our enemies heard of it and all the nations surrounding us saw it, every single one of them, they lost their confidence for they recognized that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. We're going to continue to to take hits, take stuff on, and get waylaid, haymaker after haymaker, until we build according to what God has called us to build. The leadership I so appreciate is in. Everyone in this room, I feel like, is in. But that doesn't mean that the work is finished. Because we have something worth protecting on the inside of these walls. That when we come in and we build uh, a Christian up to the, uh, a follower of Christ, let me say that. To the, to the measure of the stature that belongs to Jesus Christ. And then we send that out. Man, that's worth protecting. We don't, we don't huddle up and then let's just make this our, you know, our, our congregation, our little society and, and no one's ever affected by what we're doing. Mm, that's not it. We equip to send. And mom's gotta get taken care of. So I'm, I'm gonna say it again guys, we're gonna take hits financially, numerically, um, spiritually, like the warfare is gonna, it's gonna kick up. But the rudicils are important to the Eastons, are important to the Martins, are important to every family in here, because your part of the wall is important to their part of the wall. My part of the wall is important to everybody's part of the wall. Everybody's part of the wall is important to everybody's part of the wall. But guess what? It wasn't about the temple. At the end of this, I can probably guess it's not even going to be about the wall. 
the Lord is using the wall just like he used the temple. He rallied his people around something and it brought them together so they could have unity with his heart. He's going to use this wall to rally the people around unification between each other. And the Lord can use that. Oh, my goodness. He can use that. Are you guys with me this morning? That's good. I like those amens. Oh, man. So, can I get the worship team back up here? And get prepared for our offering? There's so much in this book that in the next couple weeks, I'll probably still be giving you guys a little bit of history. And just all of what's going on with this dude and who he is and how the Lord is making his heart burn for a city he's never been in. Let's get you guys to come up here. But are are you hearing me today when I say that every family is important? Nehemiah is building a wall to protect something. I feel like I have a responsibility to build something in this church with the help of everybody to protect something but not only to protect that thing for the sake of protection but to protect it so it it gets sent out looking exactly like Christ and nothing else and my appeal to you today is to help me to help me do that get involved on a deeper level jump into the evangelism course take the discipleship class and then pray about discipling somebody Classes don't disciple people. (laughs) One-on-one relationships with the word in front of you. Cup of coffee. I really don't like coffee, but I drink it anyway because I meet with a lot of people. This is like acquired taste, you know, whatever. Jump into that and then be a good neighbor. Let the person across the street see the gospel in you. The gospel is in this message through Nehemiah. Why can't it be in every single one of us? In everything that we say, everything that we do. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this offering. Lord, we know all of this money is yours. But Lord, for whatever amount you put on our heart. Lord, we know that those resources are going to building something that looks just like you. And we need those resources in order to operate. We need those resources in order to bring in what it is that you want us to do. It's a part of the equation. It's not the whole equation. But Lord, again, as we say every Sunday, allow us to give joyfully. Because this work, we're all a part of it. And there can be no crack in the wall. And we have to take care of our part. So, Lord, as this offering goes around, I pray that we we have that in mind. But allow us to give joyfully. This money is yours. And we want to complete your work with your resources. In Jesus' name. Go ahead and pass that. So, if the Lord is moving in you. The interesting thing about the rain, when you let it rain, when you let the Holy Spirit rain in your life, there's a cleansing that happens. And every Sunday, it's not always about get right, get right. It could be, Lord, just give me the strength to do this. 
I'm going to have the posture of being on my knees so that you can use me. Maybe the Lord's asking you to do that this morning, but we're going to sing this song. I'm going to open up this altar, and if the Lord is dealing with you in anything, anything, don't miss out on this opportunity. He just wants to love on you. Because we're going somewhere. One day we're going to see thousands of people in Jesus. And it's going to be because of you guys. So let him work on you this morning. Let's, uh, you guys can go ahead and stand to your feet. Let's finish with this, but go ahead, Julia.